Shrempod episode 32. Yes. Hello, everyone. I'm Ryan McKenna, bringing you all the latest in the classics of the Premier League. Hope you're all doing well and keeping safe. Happy to once again have alongside me the very wonderful Peter Carl Heinz Galindo. Peter, how are you? I am good, Ryan. Yes, it was a busy week for me. Uh, You made reference to it there. If you'd like to add some context, you may, because I think I'm too tired now to provide any anymore. Peter became a German citizen this this past week. (laughs) No, it was actually a fun week uh, for for Peter and Jeff over at their workplace, as uh, Peter had the opportunity to to speak with uh, the CEO of Bayern Munich. Uh, also known as Carl Heinz, about Canadian Alfonso Davies, the Edmonton product. And on that subject as well, the, the Bundesliga is starting up once again this weekend. We, we've, as a group, had discussions about maybe doing a podcast on the Bundesliga. We'll, we're, we're still ironing out the details, but uh, Peter, uh, what was that experience like? It was a bit strange because that's easily the most prestigious person I have spoken to in my career. And it was only six journalists talking to him. So it really was, I don't want to say the elite of the elite, but it was, it was certainly a very exclusive group. I wouldn't necessarily call us all elite because I think we are very much run of the mill, but uh, the person we were talking to was elite. So it was, uh, it was interesting, but it was also very cool because he, he answered everything that we we asked and very detailed as well. So that always works whenever you are in journalism, whenever your interview subject actually gives you a good answer. It most certainly does. And Peter, don't uh, sell yourself short uh, of the elite status just yet. Also on this call, and a big part of how Peter's story about that call got uh, to uh, uh, the World Wide Web is Jeff Lowe. Jeff, I'm sorry we haven't got to you yet. Oh, uh, thanks. Um, I, I got uh, I got caught up in everything Peter was saying and distracted because I 100% think Peter's elite. But, you know, I, I guess he can't say that. That wouldn't be very humble. No, uh, but uh, we can. Yeah, we can. I believe. I mean, he's he's at least got elite level potential uh, and he just really needs to put in the training and uh, and get out there on the pitch. No, Peter, I'm I'm glad you were able to have that uh, that time this week, and and uh, you did a great job with that story and that uh, video hit. That does not really lead us all that well, but uh, into our next part of this, which is talking about a classic Premier League game. But we'll make the transition anyways. Uh, so this is, I believe, our fifth or sixth week where we're talking about a classic Premier League match, and I do hope that we're getting near the end of that time as, as I think we're all sort of missing that, that itch of live football lately, guys. Uh, this week's classic matchup that we're talking about, it's Manchester City against Tottenham Hotspur on January 22nd, 2012 from the Etihad Stadium. All right, guys, uh, I'm going to tee this one up a little bit for us. So at the time, uh, these are two of the top three teams in the Premier League and Manchester City, they're neck and neck with United at, uh, in that one, two spot. Tottenham's in third. We got two very strong lineups, uh, and this is also the pre-Harry Kane uh, era for Tottenham. Jermaine Defoe is at striker, like uh, we saw with the Tottenham team earlier in, uh, in our uh, Premier League Classic podcast. And it's also an interesting matchup because uh, Tottenham was defeated 5-1 earlier in this season by this very same 
City team. And so uh, Spurs actually ended up going on quite a bit of a run after that. And and now they're out for, for revenge. Uh, they're on the road and uh, they're eager to get things going. So uh, some really interesting lineups here, though. So, Peter, maybe I want to start with you just to get your initial thoughts on, on who is actually playing in this match. I really want to start it off by saying that we had a future Ballon d'Or winner, Luka Modric, playing next to Scott freaking Parker in the midfield for Tottenham. We really need to acknowledge that that actually happened because it's crazy to me. But uh, that was their starting pairing in, in the middle. You had Aaron Lennon on, on one wing, the at the time very young and exciting, still is, I guess, whenever he plays, but Gareth Bale uh, on the other one. And uh, he had a bit of a part to play in this game, as we'll find out later. And then, yeah, you had the strike partnership up front of uh, Jermaine Defoe and Raphael van der Vaart. At the back, it was very much a weird defense at the time and I kind of forgot about this but you had Asubi Kato on on the left who was kind of average at this point and then you had the very young Kyle Walker who is breaking all sorts of social distancing protocols these days um and then you had Ludley <laughs> King and Eunice Kabul at center back Brad Friedel at this point quite old but still very good in goal and then on the other side well at least on paper a much stronger Manchester City team and a couple names that I'm sure uh, Jeff was very familiar with when they were on Arsenal. That's Samir Nazri and Gael Clichy uh, starting on the same flank. But then you had the excellent Bernardo Silva. Sergio Aguero was in his first season at the time. Uh, but no Yaya Toure or Vincent Company. So it was uh, Stefan Savage partnering Jolien Lescott. And then you had a midfield of Gareth Barry and James Milner who didn't have terrible games but certainly missing yaya in this one yeah yeah they were uh peter this is already by far your best podcast in months uh i don't really know how to react to that but thank you i guess <laughs> you're just on fire today man i i gotta give it to you jeff any thoughts uh, or comments on these lineups before we get yeah. into the game yeah i mean the fact that modric and bale are starting next to each other in the tottenham lineup opposite of parker and lennon like like peter said is is a little bit mind-blowing and then i just thought once these teams got going and we'll talk about the first half and what it didn't give us but i found the tottenham lineup had a ton of speed with bale and defoe and lennon and walker you know walker was not great defensively but but he definitely was forward a lot and he has a lot of speed. They were just so much faster than Manchester City, but this City team is so skilled. Uh, David Silva was a beast in this game. Uh, Aguero also created a lot of chances. And and off the bat, even though we didn't really get all that much entertainment out of the first half, we definitely saw that speed from Tottenham that they couldn't really capitalize and, and the skill from Manchester City that I think really sets this team apart. Um, and is why they'd go on to be eventual champions. So, Jess, you alluded to us talking about the first half. Uh, little did you know that actually we're not going to talk about the first half because it was that bad. Oh, it, it was it, really freaking bad. It was truly terrible. Like the highlight for me, and I think you guys will both appreciate this, was in around the ninth or tenth minute when Gail Clichy goes after who somebody, <laughs> I forget who's throwing it in, but he literally, I think it was Walker. And he just jumps in front of him and puts his hands up. And, and the ball goes off Gail Clichy's hands. And it reminded me of that time when we were playing rec soccer last summer where 
um, I was playing right back and some guy was attacking me with the ball and, and uh, he shot it towards Peter who was in net. And my instinct, I just put my hands up and, and, <laughs> and blocked it with my hands. And that, that brought uh, memories of, of my inexperience on the pitch and my goalie instincts. And yeah, I mean, that was literally the highlight of the first half for me. I laughed, you know, and I, I, re- I remembered better times. But other than that, what, like what a terrible first half. I had actually some notes here, but really there's none worthy of, of talking about. Pick, um, pick your best one, Ryan, and, and tell us about it. Well, I did have a note here that, that City was actually the superior team through a half hour. They, they had much more precise passing. They were generating many more chances. I think probably my favorite moment here was uh, in, in the uh, in and around the 36th minute, or uh, starting at least in the 30th, with Brad Fredo, the American, uh, he had a great leg save on Sergio Aguero. And then uh, I think my favorite moment of the uh, first half, though, was in the 36th minute when uh, a free kick soared over the net. And it led to a great quip by the commentator who said, quote, that's on the way to Arndale Shopping Center as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty on point, actually. Um, if I were if I were going to pick favorite players from the first half, I think Brad Friedel was probably the best Tottenham player because the rest really did nothing. And then I thought I thought Mika Richards and uh, and Sergio Aguero were both good for City, but David Silva was far and away their best player in that first half. Completely agreed. David Silva stole the show. And this seat, like that entire season, he was incredible. Everybody talked about the goals that Aguero got and everything, and fair enough. But David Silva was the man that made that team tick and, and made them look good. Everybody obviously pointing out other players. But I think we've seen over the years that he has been at City just how integral he's been to that team. And yeah, he gets plaudits, but I feel maybe not quite to the level that he should have gotten the entire time. Like, we see what happens with Kevin De Bruyne now and whenever he has a great game and everybody talks about it. I feel that didn't happen as often with David Silva. He almost kind of, like, paved the way for Kevin De Bruyne to get those kinds of plaudits. Yeah, I, I totally agree, and I think he was the engine in this game. And looking back, especially at this team, I mean, he is far and away the best player on the pitch. And, yeah, I, I agree that he paved the way for... Uh, De Bruyne and I, I feel like if David Silva had a game like he did in this one today he probably still wouldn't even get that that uh, praise because he's just that kind of guy he's he's just you know kind of working I don't know in the background but but he's he's the puppet master of the city team Th- those are some really good points about Kevin De Bruyne and I and I really appreciate that guys the first half did nothing it ended up nil nil but the second half was much more exciting and let's jump into it now right to the 54th minute. This was a, a little bit of an interesting one. Look at Mojers, patches it over to Gareth Bale, who attempts to hit it with his left foot, but whoopsie, goes off his right instead, and he slips to the ground. Poor that was like Gareth that was Bale. like the first half or the first 50 minutes of this game summed up in one swift kick. All we needed was like some dramatic uh, cartoonish type music. And, and it <laughs> yeah, been perfect. exactly. Some circus music. Anyways, let's get to some goals, and they came in a bunch here within about a 10-minute span, nine minutes actually to be exact. Goal. The first one came in the 56th minute, really out of nowhere, as Samir Nasri, who uh, takes a nice through ball from David Silva, as we just talked about, very uh, underrated in this game. He fired at home, uh, Nasri did, with his right foot, and it's one nothing Manchester City. 
Three minutes later, it's another goal. Three minutes and 15 seconds, uh, to be exact. Julian Lescott uh, essentially takes uh, him through the ball, and he, it essentially took him and the ball into the net after a corner, found a foot on, uh, on the ball in front of the Tottenham net to make it 2-0 for Manchester City. Pretty crazy uh, back-to-back. Yeah, I, I thought, again, like we've, we've praised David Silva enough, but but he created that first goal all himself and the pass to to Samir Nasri was uh, was amazing. And it's worth noting in here, the commentator was mentioning a lot how Samir Nasri was having a tough time acclimating himself to Man City. I, th- I believe this is his first season with the club from Arsenal. And it, it's just so uh, uh, ironic that he's, he's talking about Nasri not having the impact he's expected to have. And then he opens up the scoring in what had so far been a pretty bad game. And and then the second goal was, I mean, it was a garbage goal. It was it was bad from Tottenham, you know, good for Lescott for putting it in the net. But I, I, there was not much skill to that. No, there was not. But really that entire, I think that entire sequence for the second goal was was a little bit lucky in a way for City because obviously I think it was Ed and Dzeko who kind of had a little bit of a flick at the near post which allowed the ball to get to Lescott. He essentially outmuscled Scott Parker right before the, the ball crossed the line in order to get the ball over the line. But the first goal, I mean, I, I feel like we need to fully gush over that through ball because I even though I actually remember watching this game when it happened live I still made a very strange noise when that through ball went in towards the box (laughs) and it was incredible I mean the the whole sequence building up to the goal was incredible It, it was the pass from David Silva amazing work by Jekyll off the ball to draw out Eunice Kabul to open up that lane for Nasri to run into and then it was finished perfectly and Jeff mentioned that Nazri, even though he did, I think overall in his time at City, did kind of struggle. The ending of his career at City probably brought on more by injuries than anything else. Kind of the story of his career in some ways, right when he starts to get going, injuries happen to him. But he was actually one of the main providers for Sergio Aguero that season. He had 23 goals, did Aguero, and Nazri provided five of those assists more than any other player on the Man City team. So he did do something right, but considering his overall time at City was maybe a little bit underwhelming, the goal that he ended up scoring, you wouldn't think so. I I was surprised to look up that he ended up spending more time with City than he did with Arsenal, uh, because I don't really remember a whole bunch from his time with City, but obviously, I mean, as an Arsenal fan, I remember a lot of his time there. Uh, Turns out he's a traitor. But yeah, the, the David Silva, I mean... You know, I, we clearly love David Silva here on this podcast, but but he split. I don't, that, but you that, guys do. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, the the people who matter love him, uh, but uh, <laughs> but I like Peter. I guess I guess you described how how the the Tottenham defense was split like that. But as I'm watching the play unfold, it was just shocking to see. You know, the they parted like the sea for Moses. It was it was remarkable how open that Tottenham defense was for that first goal. So, Jeff, uh, you talked about how that second City goal was a garbage goal. Well, uh, so was the first goal for Tottenham. In the 60th minute, uh, Joe Hart, what are you doing, bud? And uh, Stefan Savage, uh, what are you doing? So Savage heads the ball back to Hart, who comes out to play it, but misplays it. 
Jermaine Defoe, the bloody big deal himself, gets it first, and this slides it into an empty net. That was a terrible-looking goal and a terrible terrible sequence. That was brought about by just, I, I think, just a litany of errors, and it kept snowballing. So Savage playing the ball basically puts Defoe on side, and then Joe Hart realizes this. He's a little bit too late to come out, and he doesn't really know what to do. Kind of the story of his career, although that season <laughs> he, was, he was tremendous. But, I mean, credit Kabul for the pass. That was incredible for me, and it kind of makes up for his, I wouldn't call it an error. He was just just kind of doing his job trying to man-mark Edin Dzeko, but it does make up for the first goal that was conceded uh, to Samir Nasri with that pass over the top because Savage couldn't deal with it. You you wonder if Vincent Company, if he was starting in this game, if he would have dealt with that perfectly fine, and probably he would have. Yeah, I mean, given uh, given the type of player Company was at that time and for his entire career, you would expect him to make that play. Uh, Savage off, uh, obviously didn't. And yeah, it was it was easy for for Defoe, who really wasn't much of a factor in this game, really. Um, the commentators mentioned a few times how Defoe up the middle was just not not really an option for Tottenham. They were they were really playing out wide and and trying to use the speed to break down City. So Defoe didn't really play a factor. Um, but I mean, it, it was a gift for him on that one, and and he's going to finish those types of goals all day long. So I know we've talked a lot about David Silva, but I think it's time to give some love to Gareth Bale, and that's because in the 65th minute. He didn't miss this time with his left foot, curling a shot into the top right-hand corner of the net, passes sprawling Joe Hart to make it 2-2. The Welsh Wizard, as the commentators call him, uh, evens this matchup at 2-2. A really beautiful goal there by Gareth Bale. It, it was a remarkable goal, and uh, you know that just that's that's kind of Gareth Bale, right? Is that I mean, for big parts of this game, he he disappeared, and then. You know, he he muddled that shot like you mentioned earlier, and then he just finds this moment of magic, and it was pure magic. It was a a one time shot, and it was perfectly placed, curled over Joe Hart. You know, it's one of those goals that makes you get up out of your seat. It was just a remarkable goal, um, the best goal of the game for sure, and it showed what kind of player Bale is and why he garnered all the money he did when he left Tottenham. It was such a unique goal because it wasn't hit with a lot of venom. It was just perfectly placed, but it was just so perfectly placed that it was just, you know, a, a worldie, as they call it. Um, and, and that's Gareth Bale at Tottenham personified for me. Um, and that was really the, I guess, the continuation of his progress. He really broke through and made a name for himself in the Champions League the previous year. Um, everybody remembers the performance he had against Inter where he ran circles around Mykon, who at the time was, at least at that point, considered the best right back in Europe. Um, so the fact that he kind of made mincemeat of him says a lot. And that entire year, uh, 2011-12, in the Premier League, Bale had 10 goals and 14 assists. The next year, he really, really... Uh, beat that one by a lot and then he had 21 goals and nine assists before he made that at the time world record move to Real Madrid it's just kind of incredible to me that we were seeing at the time I believe he would have been 22 years old something like that and then he would go on to Real Madrid where everybody thought well I mean he could end up being like a a world-class player and for a time he was but again injuries much like with Samir Nasri kind of affected his time at Real Madrid So the rest of the podcast is going to be split into two parts. 
the rough stuff, and stoppage time. Let's start with the rough stuff. 75th minute, Lescott shoves a forearm in Eunice Kabul's face. The commentators say a red card, but not the case. 83rd minute, mix up in front of the Tottenham net as uh, Mario Balotelli, who came on in the 65th minute for Ed and Jekko, catches Scott Parker with a shot, and then there's a potential stopping motion on the follow-through. Commentators calling for maybe a, a red card. Guys, uh, Peter, I'm going to start with you. Uh, are either of these a red card offense? In the modern day game with VAR and everything else, I think both of those could very easily be red card offenses. Certainly the the stamp from Balotelli is a red card because um, it's fair enough if you miss one you know, with, with the Lescott forearm, but to miss two is quite something. And it, it's just crazy how those actions end up having a huge, huge impact late in the game, but I will not uh, release any spoilers at this point. Like I look back, um, I, I immediately Googled this game because the commentators talked about whether there was going to be supplemental discipline after the fact, not to mention the fact that Balotelli was already on a yellow. So even if it wasn't a red card, it was definitely a yellow and he should have been out of the game no matter what. But what happened after the game was that Balotelli uh, was charged with violent contact or conduct uh, for his stamp on, on Scott Parker. And he got a, a four-game ban from the FA. Uh, Lescott, on the other hand, did not get any supplemental discipline. So that's kind of how the FA viewed that after the fact. Obviously, I think the stamp is a straight-up red card no matter what. Uh, I, don't, I don't care whether Scott Parker was injured or not. The intent was there. And, you know, Balotelli is that type of player that, you know, did that kind of thing. We saw it multiple times in this game. The Lescott one, I, I don't know. I, I don't really think that that's a red card. You could definitely see it that way. But the, the stamp, for sure. So those two instances, guys, they really sort of ended up being a story of this game. And, and, and here's the reason why. So in the first minute of the stoppage time, Bale and Defoe have this two-on-one. And it almost looks like a sure goal. Um, Bale passes it over to uh, from the left side. But... It's too strong, and Defoe can't quite get there in time, and the uh, ball goes off the post, which is just this crazy sequence that definitely should have been the winner. But just 22 seconds left before the end of stoppage time, it's a goal. This time it's at the other end. Uh, Ledley King gets wrapped up with uh, Mario Balotelli in the box, and it turns into being a penalty. Yes, a penalty, and who goes up and takes it but... Mero Balotelli, he has a little stutter step, and then he slots it in the bottom left-hand corner before just standing there, arms spread out wide, just saying, oh, yeah, I'm still in the game, and I just scored the winner. And that's how this one ended in a 3-2 final for Manchester City. So the big question is, should Mero Balotelli even have been on the pitch, and would Man City still have won this game if he wasn't? Uh, I, th I think the answer to both of those questions is no. Um, I mean, it's impossible to know whether they would have won this game if somebody else had been hauled down by Ledley King, uh, who, uh, as uh, by a matter of fact, is, is the only player. We've watched Tottenham three times across a span of like 12 or 13 years over our classic games. He's been in every single one. Like, is the guy, I mean, is he still playing for Tottenham? I have no idea. He probably is. Um, but, <laughs> but, 
probably both are no. The really interesting thing to me looking back on this, and yes, this game is January 22nd. There's still plenty of games left to be played. But if if both of our, our answers to the questions Ryan asks are no, then Manchester City actually doesn't get the amount of points they need to win the title that season. They finished tied with United with 89 points. Obviously, one of the best moments in Premier League history when Aguero scored that goal against QPR to win it in the final minutes of the season. Uh, and, the, and they won the game or the league on goal difference. But if they don't get these three points in this game, they don't win the league. And so this game, all the way back in January, ends up having such a big impact on how this epic, epic season ends and I find that so much so fascinating Um, obviously it's we're looking back on it with hindsight but but what a remarkable decision to be made in this game that ends up having such a huge ripple effect on the rest of the season not only that but Tottenham's form after that was quite patchy and then because of this, because they were third, as we mentioned off the top of the show, um, they finished fourth that season, which you would think, oh, they got into the Champions League, fine. They were back in after a, a, a brief hiatus. Well, no, because Chelsea winning the Champions League that year against all odds meant that they got the last spot for the Champions League since they missed out on the top four and because they won the competition that qualifies them but that meant that Tottenham who finished fourth and was in a qualifying spot for the Champions League was knocked out and sent back to the Europa League so again if that doesn't happen maybe that point gives them the the confidence and they're buoyed into a great run of form and then maybe they end up getting third place over Arsenal and it's Arsenal who ends up suffering that fate that Spurs did who knows well, it's remarkable, too, because uh, Tottenham finished one point behind Arsenal. So if they tie this game, they have that point. And Arsenal and Tottenham also had the exact same goal difference. But it would have been different for Tottenham because they wouldn't have given up that goal against Man City that won this game. So everything about this this game and these decisions changed the outcome of how uh, the 2011-2012 season ended up finishing. Yeah, and then maybe they don't sell Luka Modric. I imagine they sell Gareth Bale with the money they were offered, but you know, maybe that team doesn't get completely ripped apart and then they don't miss the Champions League for the next, I believe it was the next four years that they actually missed it. It wasn't until Pochettino's second season when he took them to third in the 15-16 season when they finally qualified again. Like like one decision, one wrong decision, and, and everything is is so different. And that's why, guys, this game is a Premier League classic. Yeah, um, despite being the worst first half I've seen in a long time. <laughs> hey, uh, Je- Jeff Lowe, thanks so much for uh, for taking the time today. No, my pleasure. Always fun to talk about classic games. Peter, thank you for providing us with both excellent analysis in the Bundesliga and the Premier League. You are most welcome. Thank you for having me. For Jeff Lowe and Peter Galindo, I'm Ryan McKenna, and this was episode 32 of The Print Pod. We'll see you next week. <laughs>